What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Sports Card Madness, the podcast that focuses on sports cards, collectibles, the hobby, and everything else in between. This episode is the hockey episode. We brought on Jeremy Lee of Sports Card Live to educate us in all things hockey. We talked vintage, we talked modern, we talked what it's like to be a hockey fan, why they're so passionate, and we also gave you some tips on how to invest and what cards we think you should be looking at in hockey. You definitely don't want to miss this one. Kick is on the way, and it is everybody welcome to another episode of sports card madness i'm here with lz as usual but we have jeremy lee uh here as a guest and he is going to educate us on all things hockey today jeremy welcome to the show um i wanted you to to be able to introduce yourself if you could i know you have a podcast and uh you also work for a grading company and you do a ton of things so i just want to hear all about it yeah well thanks guys uh nick larry nice to meet you guys today um, yeah, my name is Jeremy Lee. I I think I guess I'm sort of best known for Sports Cards Live, the the live and interactive show that I started on on YouTube uh, three and a half years ago. I also cover a lot of auction ending uh, events for about seven different auction companies in in our hobby. Uh, have a lot of fun doing those. And um, you mentioned the grading company. Yeah, I've uh, been working with Tag Grading for just over a year now. They're out of Los Angeles, the uh, the automated grading company. And I joined Tag Grading about uh, it was it was the beginning of September of 2022. Um, after I, I joined them because I had had them on my show, my podcast. I did a five episode series with them. I was really uh, interested and believed in, you know, the future of grading, having some consistency and kind of taking the human bias out of it. And uh, after doing those five episodes with them and learning so much about what their technology was and the people behind it and what their mission was for the company, I I, I just fell in love with it and uh, joined them as the vice president of business development. And um, I've been working with them ever since. Uh, so you know, my, my hobby endeavors really include, you know, sports cards live, tag grading, and the the most important of all probably is, is just managing my own collection and curating my collection for as I've been doing for over 40 years now. So I've been in this, I'm a lifer, I don't ever plan to get out of it and um, just plan to continue doing what I'm doing. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you for joining us. I was joking with LZ earlier that we're from one of the original hockey towns and we're pretty clueless about hockey. So we're looking forward to getting educated today. That's for sure. Um, so obviously you're a hockey fan uh, for the uh, audience on audio. He's got a hockey Jersey behind him. Um, you know, how did you get into collecting and how did you end up, you know, liking hockey? Just how did it all begin and how did you start your collection? Yeah, for me, it uh, liking hockey began in the seventies for me. Um, I'm from Winnipeg in Canada, north just north of North Dakota. That's where I'm originally from. And um, I used to go to hockey games to go see the Winnipeg Jets play with my dad uh, when the when the Winnipeg Jets were in a league called the WHA, which merged with the NHL in like 1980. Uh, but I would go to hockey games with him. And I, I remember there was this elderly couple that sat next to us. And the Winnipeg Jets were the best team in the WHA back then. And every game I would... 
the old the old gentleman and myself would bet 25 cents on who would win the game. He always let me take the Winnipeg Jets and they always won. I always won a quarter coming out of those games. <laughs> uh, some of my earliest memories of being a hockey fan. And then I also remember it's this is probably like 1979. I was at my cousin's house and right now I'm actually back in Winnipeg traveling and I'm in that cousin's younger brother's house right now. So my other cousin, but the home I'm in right now uh, is my cousin, Michael, his older brother, Danny. I remember being in his you know bed bedroom at his parents' house and in, in like, again, probably 1979. And he had all these hockey cards just kind of strewn all over his floor. And I started looking at them and seeing these little pictures of players. And I remember watching them play on the ice, like live. And you turn the card over and you've got all the stats and you've got the little story about them. And I was, you know, I was just learning I probably how to read and numbers. And I was just really interested in all the, the details on the back of the cards. And I still have this vivid memory of being in that bedroom that time and seeing those cards and picking them up. And I... You know, I, I get asked this question a lot, and I'm I'm quite certain that that is my original experience, my very first introduction to sports cards, and I've been hooked ever since. Very that's cool. a great, that's a great story. I I think yeah, geez, I'd even have to think for myself. I think we all probably have a similar story, like that, right? Back, you know, when we were kids, and whether it's opening packs with your father or a sibling or a cousin and trading. Um, yeah, that's that's great. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that, Jeremy. It's excellent. I mean, I, I can just expand a little bit if you want. I, I yeah. remember, you know, in the early 80s, I would and the, through the mid 80s, I would collect the complete set of OPG hockey every year. I would also collect tops football and uh, and baseball cards as well. I remember the 8081 basketball set, the perforated, the triple panel set. I remember buying packs of that. 82 83 tops baseball you should buy them at the corner store here in in canada you know you could buy you can, it wasn't just hockey up here you can get the other the mm. other sports too and then you know completing the sets with friends trading at recess and in, in the in the schoolyard i remember doing that quite clearly and uh and then you get towards the end of the i graduated high school in 1990 and i was i remember walking the halls of my high school probably in grade 11 um, selling complete sets of the 88-89 Opeachy hockey set because I was out there building the sets, going to the 7-Elevens, buying the packs, putting the sets together. I would also, back in the mid-80s, go with a friend of mine to the, our local LCS in downtown Winnipeg. It was this little shop that was located in the back corner of a bigger comic and used bookstore. And we would I'd go there every weekend, spend my afternoon there, got to know the shop owners pretty well. And I bought, I remember buying my first Mario Lemieux Opeachy rookie card there for 25 cents because that's Ooh, it was just spending. a card. All cards were the same. It didn't yeah. matter, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I've, I've been immersed in the hobby my whole life. I, like a lot of people, I wasn't as active in the, in the second half of the 90s, which is when a lot of treasures were created. A lot of the best cards ever came out of that era. I, I refer to that as the creative era. And the cool thing about missing that era when I was younger is that now, and really I started really getting into those cards in about 2016, 17. The cool thing is that now I'm discovering so many cards all the time from that era that had I been immersed in the hobby back then, I, I'm, I'd probably be ahead of things, but I wouldn't be able to rediscover them now. And, you know, the one thing about this hobby is you can always discover more cards. And um, I find myself continuing to be able to do that, which is just awesome. Mm. let's go back to you being on the playground with your friends. Um, 
I'm curious up in Canada when, when you were doing your trading, was hockey the most popular or, you know, at that time was football big for your friends or, or basketball or baseball. I'm just, what, what was it? Who, what, what were people? It was all hockey. Yeah. All hockey. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Especially all right. because here in Winnipeg, we had a hockey team. We, you know, there were 21 teams in the, in the NHL for mm. the longest time until the early nineties, really when like San Jose and Ottawa came into the league, but we had a team that was, Win- I mean, again, Winnipeg is a, it's not a, it's probably about 800,000 people right now. Back then it was like 600,000 people. And we had a hockey team. That was our claim to fame. That's what put us on the map. That's what made us a city, gave us a lot of our, our identity back then as a city. So mm-hmm. having the team, we were, we, as a, you know, my friends, our community, it was all about hockey back then. We didn't have a, we didn't have the Blue Jays or the Expos. Those were out East. You know, we didn't mm-hmm. have a basketball team or football team. We had a Canadian football league team, but um, who really cares about that league? <laughs> <laughs> I can absolutely relate to you with regards to you growing up in Winnipeg. I grew up in Foxborough, Massachusetts, where the New England Patriots play. So totally can I, I, I get that. you The city, the town, the, the people there take on the identity of that team. And it, it's kind of this badge that you wear for, you know, I still wear it to this day for the rest of your life. You, you wear that. So that's a special, you had a nice opportunity growing up to be in a town with a, with a pro hockey team. Yeah. Yeah. Until that team breaks your heart and moves down to Arizona and calls themselves <laughs> the Phoenix right. Coyotes. Right. Oh. Uh, that, you know, until that happens, but that's not going to yeah. happen to the new, to the New England Patriots. So you're okay. We, we had almost there. Yeah, Connecticut. They were going to move to Connecticut uh, for a little while. It's yeah. close. Yeah, it was close. <laughs> no. Robert Kraft saved the day. Yeah, he did. God, yeah. He swooped in. Yeah. Um. That that's really good to understand their perspective. You growing up and 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 you and your friends collecting hockey cards, and, and this is what we want to focus on today. Do you think? Do you think hockey is is overlooked right now in, in the hobby today? Um, you know, it, is it overlooked? And if it is overlooked, is is there an opportunity that maybe people aren't thinking about? Yeah, I mean, I hear a lot of people. I hear I've heard people say no one collects hockey. I mean, mm. that's that's such that's, that's so bogus because. I mean, you've got this whole country up here of 35 million people. I think it's, you know, we probably have the biggest market for it. No, let, let, me, let me start that over again. We have, let's take look at, let's look, for example, at the, uh, at the Toronto Raptors or the Toronto Blue Jays. It's not hockey, but we have this whole country of 35 million people. We're all fans of those two teams, even though they're not in our cities. We don't have any other teams in those leagues. So we have a, those teams likely have among the biggest fan bases of both of the of MLB and NBA, you know, outside of the Lakers and the Yankees sure. that have worldwide appeal, right? Mm-hmm. It's a, we're a big country here and well, we're a big we're we're like California basically, you know, <laughs> but we we are a hockey centric uh, nation just like, you know, the baseball being your America's national pastime, hockey is is ours. And mm-hmm. so when I hear people say no one collects hockey, I'm like, well, you're you're missing like basically a, a population the size of California, which is significant that does Huge. collect that does collect mm-hmm. hockey. So, and there are tons of hockey collectors in the U.S. as well, not as many as baseball or basketball. But what I will say is that the 
the commitment to the collecting baseball has the strongest true collector base you know people who are collecting for the sake of collecting i think hockey is second like nationally like internationally would have mm. the second largest and most passionate collector base and then i don't even know what the third would be i don't think it's maybe it's basketball maybe it's football but basketball has so many it's that's where the flippers live that's where that's a transient kind of collector base and football it's just hard to really get into collecting football because there's only like a handful of players that have had a career that is you know even barry sanders might be the guy who had the shortest career that has the most collectors but i guess my point is that i think hockey is a really safe place to collect if you are considering long-term value because the fans are so passionate about the sport and they're not all about the flip, which is really what exploded basketball over the last five years. Basketball was a, wasn't even on the charts, you know, 10 years ago, really. You had Jordan and LeBron and Kobe, and that was really it. You had AI. AI had a lot of fans, of course. But mm -hmm. even guys like Grant Hill, Kevin Garnett, like Ray Allen, all these wonderful players never really developed a huge collector base. So hockey is... Uh, it's got a it's got a, a real passionate group of collectors. The Sport Card Expo in Toronto twice a year is like it's the second biggest show in the world, and it's eighty percent hockey, if not more. So hockey is not. I don't want to say it's underlooked, but I think a lot of the and I keep referring to the flippers here, but a lot of the U.S. based collectors, flippers, investors don't really realize just how passionate the hockey collectors are and that that means that there's that there's sustainability there and the values will likely endure for quite some time um is there an opportunity maybe i i don't i'm not one who gives advice on like speculating or what's going to happen in the future i kind of ride mm -hmm. the waves as a collector as an investor i i'm a hybrid i i do both um so uh but there are a lot of players who are underappreciated and perhaps there is the opportunity for them to develop more, more hobby love, uh, a term that I use quite a lot. And I really think is, is apropos because, you know, there are, there are, there are so many players who have a great resume in hockey, but don't get a lot of, uh, there's not a lot of player collectors for them. And I think more and more of that, I think that will develop over time. As far as young players go, you know, there's a lot of great young players in the league. Obviously, we've got some humongous generational type prospects or at least one entering the league this year. We'll see what he does. Talking about Connor Bedard, obviously. You know, mm -hmm. Connor McDavid revived the hobby in 2015 for hockey and Sidney Crosby revived it in 2005 along with Alex Ovechkin. And it's kind of funny how these a, a single player can really spark interest in the sport. And now what I'm seeing on my social media feeds is a lot more attention on hockey because people are anticipating the arrival of Connor Bedard. So I don't know if that means opportunity or not. I would caution people, be careful, you know, be careful. Mm. His cards are going to come out and he will already have Connor McDavid values uh, associated with him. I'm, I have to guess. And, you know, now he's got a lot to live up to. So proceed accordingly. I would say. <laughs> I, I loved, I loved how you brought up McDavid. Um, and then also Sidney Crosby and what they did to the market and the sport. So that is an interesting perspective around around Bernard and whether he can he can do that. So that's that's something to look definitely look for. Um, 
And I, I also definitely appreciate you talking about hockey fans being very passionate and what that does for the sport, the fan base and the collectibles market. It, it just got me thinking while you were talking, it's like, you know what, Jeremy, he, I think he's, it's definitely onto something. Like I look at, we're very blessed living in the Boston area. We have a lot of great teams and I think our Bruins fans, we talk about it all the time. It, they are the most passionate out of all the different professional teams we have in this area. It's it's passion, and I think passion drives drives the market. I think that's that's a great call out. I really haven't thought of that too much. I think usually about players and what are players doing to impact the market, but just focusing on passion. If I'm thinking, if I would take it even a step th- further, right? If for focusing on passion, you know, uh, another another great one, which I know is starting to get a little up and coming is soccer. Soccer cards are becoming big, right? And they are very passionate fan bases in soccer too. So great perspective. Thank you for that. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting, Jeremy, you, you talk about sort of natural growth in the hockey collecting hobby. And if you look at what happened with basketball, I mean, you can just go on Google trends, which by the way, for the audience is a great tool. You can punch in anything just for fun, punch in Zion Williamson and do, you know, whatever the last 10 years, you will see a massive spike, a massive crash. And as you said, it feels almost like a, like a flip that happened in basketball cards that didn't happen in hockey. Obviously, there was a bump for everything in 2020, but it wasn't that extreme, or there was not an extreme player yeah. like that. Yeah, I think you're, you said the word trend just now. It's funny. I was looking for a pen because I want to. I just wrote trend on my phone because, you know, hockey is first of all the whole hobby. I believe at the core of our hobby and collecting is is nostalgia. That's what drives this whole market. I believe is nostalgia. In the long term, that's what's going to give it long term health. What's what drives in the short term? Trends, trends, and I think basketball is has been trendy for the last few years. We've just seen that happen. Whereas hockey is based on passion. There are there are trends within on on, on kind of a micro level, but macro, it's it's passion and nostalgia. Basketball, I don't know that it's there is passion and nostalgia there too, but it's not to the degree that hockey mm-hmm. has. And then baseball is all about nostalgia and passion. How many movies, how many baseball movies have been made, right? It, it's, it right. is truly America's pastime. And it's, and it's just, there's so it's in, it's integrated into society so much, just like hockey is up here. Um, so I, I, I really, we try to figure out what's going on in this hobby all the time. And I think if you can understand those differences and spot the trends and, you know, you talk like Wembenyama now, like all, all the attention is on Wembenyama and you know, what are the chances maybe he will become the next LeBron James or, you know, or the next hobby superstar. Maybe he will. Uh, but Zion didn't and jaw didn't and trade didn't. Uh, there's so many more fails than there are successes when it comes to that. So a lot of the hobbyists who are really looking to prospect and speculate and get in on these young players when their cards first come out. Um, I it's, I think it's like a losing proposition 95% of the time. So my approach is, and has almost always been, I don't buy into the hype for a new player. I'll wait a couple of years until they're established. And then I might have to pay more for their cards, but probably not. I probably like Zion, even if he became the end all be all, you could probably get his cards today cheaper than you would have 
back when his cards first came out, even Definitely. if he even if he mm -hmm. did deliver and, mm -hmm. and meet some of his expectations, because now you're dealing with all more macro trends as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, the hobby is interesting. We all are always trying to figure it out and it's it's hard to do. But those who are able to understand what is at the core of it, I think are going to be ahead of the game from a financial perspective. And if you are collecting because you love to collect, then who cares about the money? Just buy the cards that, mm -hmm. that speak to you, love them. And uh, one, one of the things that, that really, cons where I feel for people, they go all in on their favorite player on their favorite team. And then that player gets traded or leaves to free agency. And then I see blowout sale selling my co collection because, you know, the player got traded. Like, what did you think was going to happen? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> especially especially in modern modern sports era. Yeah, it's especially. different when, uh, you know, like my eight year old son, um, you know, uh, Marcus Smart, who was a Celtics player, got traded. And, you know, that obviously he didn't have a huge collection of Marcus Smart stuff. But, you know, the posters came off the wall. The cards got put away. And it, it's it's sad, you know, but it happens. Um, so what you said is more, you know, obviously yeah. an extreme example. It's heartbreaking when mm -hmm. your favorite player leaves. And you have to, I think for anybody out there who is a player collector of a, of a current modern player, you have to ask yourself before you start sinking all your hobby budget into this player, you have to think to yourself, if he gets hurt and his career is over, or he does pulls an Andrew Luck and just retires out of left field, or he gets traded. Are you still going to want that that player's cards? Are you are you going to want the cards you have from when he played for your team, or are you going to be so disenchanted that you're going to want to sell them off? And you're going to lose money when you sell them off. So really ask yourself that question. Uh, and now you have to balance that off with having fun. It's fun to own cards of current yes. players and watch them play and and experience the emotional roller coaster of being a professional athlete right alongside them. That said. Look at some diversity. L look at maybe, you know, okay, you're going to go all in on Marcus Smart, but maybe you stash some Larry Bird or Bill Russell as well because you know that those, hey, all-time greats, Hall of Famers, same team for the most part, but you can you, you can kind of protect yourself financially, which, let's face it, money is important in, in society, so maybe try to protect yourself as well. Yeah, yeah those are those large-cap blue chip stocks that you buy that you just know you're going to get a, a solid dividend for the next 20 years. Right. Yep. And you know, the penny stocks are the, the quick, you know, the quick uh, flashy players that you maybe invest in and do a flip eventually. So yeah, I mean, the only, a, oh, the, only the only, uh, cave, it's not really a dividend. It's more of a capital gain at the end. Yeah, it is. Cards yeah, you're right. Spinning out. They're not yeah, you're right. I wish but I, I hear what you're saying. You yeah. are hopefully having some capital appreciation year over year. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. I mean, one of the the messages I just took from from what you just said is as collectors, it's fun, but there should be just a tiny bit of thinking involved, like a little bit of proactiveness and just just think like, hey, you know, what does this look like in the future? What does this card look like down the road? How would I change or how would I feel about this card if X, Y, Z happened? I mean, yeah, if you're a little kid, you're probably not going to do that. Right. But, you know, if you're an adult, it might be might be a worthy 30 second exercise to just kind of see like where it's going with what what you're buying well, you know and what i often say is anytime you're spending significant money whatever that is to you on a card think about these things if you're if you're just buy, spending you know 100 bucks on a box of cards to open with your kid or or even for yourself 
like that's fine as long as you're willing to expense it you know put it on on the put it on your your PL, put on your income statement as an expense and that's okay but if you're going to go out and spend whatever is significant to you it might be 500 might be 5000 might be 50000 you like money that is potentially coming out of the family fund you have to really think about what could potentially happen if that player you know, goes and gets hurt. Or we look at the modern day quarterbacks, there's so much speculation into these guys, so much value built into them as if they're already Joe Montana and they're just not, and they're probably not going to become Joe Montana. So if you're going to go spend $60,000 on a national treasure RPA, be prepared to lose 90% of that money when you go sell it. But I hope you got $90,000 worth of enjoyment for owning that card for two years. Is that, you know, if you own that for two years and then you sell it for 90% loss, you have to amortize that into your enjoyment factor, into the enjoyment you got from that. And I hope you're happy with that price of admission because you're going to pay through the nose for that. Mm -hmm. Such, such a good point. Such a good point. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We think about this like set building all the time, you know, it's costly and Mm -hmm. it's like, am I enjoying this? You know, am I enjoying this or is this painful? (laughs) You have to think about it. building is a... I mean, that's a good point. Set building. I, we were, we're conditioned to set build as collectors. I think it's what I grew up doing. It was all about getting that last card. I remember doing my, my Opeechi hockey sticker album in like 1983. And the last one I needed was Ken Morrow from the New York Islanders. I used to take my allowance, go to the store every weekend and buy my four packs for a dollar or eight for mm-hmm. two bucks, whatever. Couldn't find Ken Morrow. I ended up trading it from a kid who had it in his sticker album. He removed it from his sticker album. I put it into mine and I gave him all my traders for one card because I needed to complete the set. Nowadays, I still collect a few different sets, like like long chases, long-term chase sets to to keep me interested. But a lot of the sets that I've completed, I'm like, why do I want a 50 card? And I'm not talking about base sets. I'm talking like a patch set or an autograph set. Mm -hmm. Why do I need to collect all 50 cards when... 40 of them are players I don't care about, and 10 of them are the are the big ones. I don't need 40 extra cards in my collection of players that I don't care about. So I've started to actually sell off 80% of my sets, keeping the best cards as a memory of the experience of collecting the set. But you guys notice this too, I'm sure. You, you'll see people collect a set, and then they break it up and sell it off. I mean, I yeah. see this over and mm-hmm. over and over. Set break, set break, right? Well, it's hard to make money if you're... No, let me say this differently. It's easy to lose money if you're going to do that, if that's going to be your MO in the hobby. So my advice now to a lot of people is don't collect sets unless you're doing it purely for the enjoyment. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, like we see people putting together these big basketball insert sets where the commons are a thousand dollars. Like that's pretty cool. You're going to, you're going to get to flex that on Instagram uh, but once that once the thrill of the flex is over, you're left with these cards that no one's going to care about. No one's right. going to care about these common players that no one's heard about. They're going to care about the Jordan, the the LeBron, the Kobe, you know, the Duncan and all these other guys. But all, you know, 80 percent of the set. You better have that. You better want to hold that for decades. Otherwise, yeah. you're, you're not going to you're not going to feel good about it at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So true, especially with autograph sets. You know, the, the sets are put together like 1986 Fleer. I'm I'm pretty close on 1969 uh, tops. 
you know, you got you got these players I've never heard of until I started the set. And they're so hard to find because they, they never signed cards because nobody cared. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. it's it's yeah. crazy. It's it's a that's a different experience because, you know, I'm building something I'm going to give to my kids. But, um, you know, it, it's wild. You know, set building can be can be crazy. And it's the thrill of the hunt, right? It's a different perspective. You're not doing it to make money. You're doing it to go on a hunt yeah. and find these cards. Yeah. Which is Jeremy. cool. Yeah. I think that's really, I think that's cool. But but keep in mind all these things, like make sure that you enjoy that hunt and get yeah. all your value out of the enjoyment. Uh, because the nice thing is there are, like you're talking about 86 Fleer and, and what did you say? 60, 1969 Tops, the Tall Boys. I mean, these are not, they're not the biggest sets, right? 132 cards in Fleer. I'm not right. sure what the 69 Tops yeah. is. Like those are also very iconic. I'm not going to tell anybody don't collect an autograph 52 top set or an autograph Tito six set. Like, you know, there are exceptions to this. And I think if you're honing in on the most iconic of ever, it might be harder to lose. I'm more talking about these, more of these modern sets, even nineties mm -hmm. insert sets in that where, and, but who knows, maybe one day they'll become the most iconic and there will be people 30 years from now. Is anyone going to be collecting the, the full PMG red basketball set? I don't know. I think they'll want the Shaq and the Kobe and the MJ and, and you know, the other big names in there. Yeah. But are they going to want all the no names? And I can't even think of a no name. So. So you mentioned you mentioned some sets that you are still working on. Are you are you working on a few sets? Do you want to tell like, what are yeah, you working like, on today? Right now, I, I just got a counter offer on my phone for a card from a set I'm working on. It's a 153 card set. Okay. Um, there was a parallel set from a car, a set called 20, 2014 Upper Deck Masterpieces. And um, it's the Black Framed Leather Prime Memorabilia set. Long, mm. long name, but each card is numbered. There's 153 cards in the set. Now, it's the parallel set to 160 cards, but I guess seven of the players they didn't have memorabilia for, so they skipped it, right? They skipped those players. I love the looks of it. 153 big big enough number of cards where you know but but it's one of these like chronicle type sets where there's no maybe there's 15 no names in the set and i know them all anyway but they're beautiful i i've been working on it since 2015 every card is out of 15 25 or 35 i'm down to needing 11 cards i might pick up one or two a year right now and earlier today i did my looked at my ebay search and one popped up I'm not going to say which one it is because I don't want anyone to go yeah. snake it from under me, but <laughs> one of them popped up overpriced. Of course, you know, yeah. I sent an offer. He's now made a counter offer. Hopefully we can get something done, but I haven't seen this card in 10 in eight years. So I thought wow, that's exciting. Yeah. That's really exciting. Yeah. And it's a beautiful copy of it, you know? So that's an example of something that I wouldn't recommend everybody do, but it's the, it's like one of, two or three one of three sets that i'm still kind of working on um that that i love collecting i love the looks of these cards mm. and one day i think i'll display them i'll frame it up or something like that so um there's that one the 2014 masterpieces black framed leather prime memorabilia set i'm also uh working on so in upper deck the cup which as you probably know is our version of exquisite mm -hmm. every year they put out the base set the cards are numbered to 249. And then they do a couple of parallel sets, one of which is the, the base patch parallel set. And these cards are, they used to be numbered out of 10 for the first 10 or so years of the cup. Now they're numbered out of eight. I've been collecting these since two, 
I, I collect these from the first year of the cup right through till the end of the 20 teens. I, I'm going to stop. I'm going to put a, draw the line no more after 2019. And so it's, it's, you know, each year the cup set is 60 or 90 cards. And that's a lot of cards. I've got like 335 of these in total across all the years. And this is a set that, you know, it's several sets actually, but it's something that I really love. However, I'm starting to think, to, I'm starting to pass on some of them because the players don't interest me so much. Like I don't need a one color patch of a player I don't care about. So I'm not really looking to just complete the sets. I'm now just looking to acquire the cards that I really like from them. And, uh, but this is a cool endeavor because it's something that can be a lifelong pursuit. You know, it's not something that I'm like, and I don't go crazy, about. I'm not spending hours a day searching all the forums and searching Google and Reddit and all these looking for every last card. I pick them up when I find them. And it's something that keeps me interested in, in, in the, it, it, it feeds the set collector in me, which yes. is what I was as a kid. So, mm. but I'm not, I'm not like crazy about i'm not neurotic about it very cool so jeremy i wanted to shift gears just to vintage cards uh for a bit so we obviously know for baseball there are some iconic sets we've got 52 we got the t206s we've got you know mantle for hoops obviously 86 fleer stands out with jordan we have the 69 tall boys what's what's the hockey equivalent like what's the um What's the set that stands out to you? It's got to be the 1951 Parker set. It's, you know, it was the first set in like 10 years after the war. And it's got a hundred, it's a 105 card set. These cards are very small. They're wider than a tobacco card and a little shorter. Um, they, the set has probably a dozen noteworthy hall of famers, including Gordie Howe, Maurice Richard and Terry Sawchuk, which would be the big three. And you've got you've got you got Ted Lindsay, Doug Harvey, Alex Del Vecchio. You've got a handful of other really top second tier, let's say, Hall of Famers. That's a set that a lot of hockey collectors collect. Is that fifty-one Parker set? Outside of that, like going forward from there, I can nothing comes to mind after that one. I mean, there are other great sets, but nothing where I think. Now, there are people that collect every year, I'm sure, but sure. that's that's the big one. If you go back in time, though, 1933 Opeachy is a, is a really cool set. Came in four colors. Like, every card had four different colors. There are noteworthy Hall of Fame rookies in there, the, the most important being Eddie Shore from your Boston Bruins. Mm -hmm. um, you've also you've also got the nine, one of my favorite sets, totally under... Uh, it's not well-known. The 1923 Patterson set, William Patterson set, it has four key hall of famers uh being jack adams oral joliot king clancy and howie morenz howie morenz to me being the most important pre-war rookie card uh but then so then you can go back further to the imperial tobacco sets the c-series sets from the 19 10 11 and 12 years uh we had three consecutive sets and then there was nothing after 1912 until 1923 but those original three tobacco sets You've got the C56 series, which is the first one, then the C55, then the C57. Not in order, but that's how they that's how they came out. That was the order they came out. The C55 series is probably the most popular. It has the George Vezina rookie card in it and the Joe Malone. Um, I collect these sets. I collect all three of those uh, those years. And I always thought it'd be so cool to have those early sets, you know. And so I've got the first set done, and I'm about 10 cards short of each of the, the next two. Um, those are awesome. 
history pioneers of the sport you know the like especially the first year it's a 36 card set and 24 or hall of fame rookies or something like that like wow. it's just yeah it's nice it's really cool so but you know to really hone in on the answer 51 parkhurst is is the most important i would say what about players i mean obviously lz and i we're bobby Orr guys his statues out front outside the stadium um i imagine he's huge for vintage collectors but what are your like top three and I, i'm not counting crosby and ovechkin because they're you know th- that's more recent but you know, in terms of old school guys you know who do you think are are the top ones who's like the the 1986 fleer michael jordan you know is it gretzky or what do you think yeah. that's gretzky for sure if i'm comparing mm-hmm. the 86 fleer i'm gonna go to the uh, 79 opichi wayne gretzky i think that makes sense um if you're gonna talk about uh you know if you if you want to go back in time further to you know what's the 61 fleer wilt chamberlain from that era you know, maybe it's the Bobby Orr. Maybe it's the 66 tops Bobby Orr. Uh, probably is. Probably uh-huh. would be. And then you want to go mm-hmm. even further back. You know, what's the equivalent of the the 57? Is it 57 or 58? The Bill Russell? You know, now you're, now we're getting back into the 50s. Maybe it's the Gordie Howe uh, or, or the Jean Beliveau or the Jacques Plante. There's so many cool hockey rookies from the, from the, the 50s. The Bobby Hull in 1958 is an amazing card. Um, and then you go, you can go back even further. And I mentioned some of those earlier, like the Eddie Shore, the, the, the Howie Morenz, the George Vezina. Um, it's fun to talk about and, and to come up with a, your Mount Rushmore list of, of cards in any sport. It's, it's, it's almost, it's fun, but the problem that makes it stressful is that you're limited to four. So I prefer to say, okay, here's my Mount Rushmore from like up until the fifties. Here's my rush Mount Rushmore from the fifties to 1980. And that, you know, Mm-hmm. I'd rather ha- have several Mount Rushmore so I can include more players and then have more players to chase if that's kind of how you're how you're working on it. That's cool. That's very um that's very helpful. I'm glad Orr is in the mix. That makes me happy. For sure. Yeah. Or if, if you go play back to your to audience, like, Jeremy, play yeah. to your audience. <laughs> right. Play right, to your exactly. hosts. <laughs> you know, if you go back and look at when hockey when Beckett first put out hockey magazines and even throughout mm-hmm. uh, the run of hockey magazines, um the three most expensive cards per as per Beckett's book value were always Gordie Howe, um, Bobby Orr, and Bobby Hull. Those were all at like three thousand dollars. Well, I think I think Orr was at twenty five hundred or something like that. But those were all those were the big three cards um, in 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 vintage hockey in as per Beckett magazine, and uh, those are all very worthy of of that status uh, still to this day. Hmm. All right, let's fast forward to today. What what players are you going after today? Mo- more modern players. Which ones are you going after? Yeah, I mean, I collect players like, and they're not all modern, semi-modern maybe. Mm, or, yeah. But I still to this day collect Wayne Gretzky, Mario Lemieux, Sidney Crosby, Alex Ovechkin, mm. Connor McDavid. I mean, all the, all the guys you'd expect to hear. Yeah. Connor McDavid. Uh, these are the guys that I, Timu Solani, my all-time favorite professional athlete. I collect, I collect his cards as well. I have like 36 player PCs that I, that I collect, you know, so I could go on and list them all, but there, there, there's several across, across all four sports. As far as like younger players nowadays, and that's not my forte. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't go heavy into any young player. I've, I, I learned that lesson a long time ago nowadays, but there are players I like. In the league, I like Jason Robertson on the Dallas Stars. I like Tim Stutzla on the Ottawa Senators. 
Uh, I love, love Matthew Kachuk on the Florida Panthers. He was on my flames before. Now he plays for Florida, which was a humongous disappointment for me. But I really <laughs> like his his play style. Goaltender-wise, I love uh, Jake Ottinger on the mm-hmm. Dallas Stars. And when I say I love these guys, it's because I've seen them play. And I like how they play. And they played really well against my team. That's how I know a player is good, if I see them play well against my team. Um, I like Devin Levy, defenseman for uh, goaltender for the Buffalo Sabres. I like him because he's my nephew's friend. You know, that's oh, kind of cool, right? Yeah, when, you have cool. A con- when you have a connection like that, mm. it, it, it can be kind of cool that way as well. I'm trying to think who the young prospects are on, on the Boston Bruins. Like Charlie McAvoy is a world-class defenseman. No mm-hmm. doubt about that. And and almost, you know, sadly, one of my all-time favorite players, Patrice Bergeron, just announced his retirement. Mm. I mean, guys, congratulations on the wonderful career he had. One of the best players to ever play, like just a complete game and a, a class act. Big fan. And I'm one, I'm one of the people, I'm in the minority. I like Brad Marchand. I I, I don't... Like, I think he can be a bit of a, you know, he he licks faces and weird stuff like that. But, <laughs> like, I, he's the kind of player yeah. that every team wants to have on, on their team mm-hmm. and nobody wants to play against. So you guys are lucky to have have captain this year. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. He was fun to watch on the yeah. 2011 team for sure. He, I mean, they won really, he was a big part of it. You mm-hmm. know? So yeah. 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 Back to, back to Patrice. Um, yeah, he's just to your point around being a class act. Like he he has done and probably will continue to do like a lot for this community, like the Boston community, like charity events everywhere, just always doing things in the community, visiting schools. Just a just a really good guy. So I think it's well, it's yeah. easy to root for someone like that. Yeah, and that's yeah. one thing that I I hear about hockey players is that they are down to earth. They are really mm. community focused, and they want to give back and they do that like pk suban basically has his name on a hospital in montreal i mean he's retired now but oh he, wow you know, the hockey players are just generally speaking of course there's going to be exceptions really mm-hmm. good really good people and relative to maybe the people in other sports i'm not sure i don't want to put anybody down but uh i think you know person for person hockey players are are very generous with their time with their with their finances and um you know that that's just a that's just a really cool thing so it's yeah. great to hear that about patrice mm-hmm. it doesn't surprise me i mean the guy's a class act always has mm-hmm. been nobody in the league doesn't like no no hockey fan does not like and respect patrice bergeron that it's same thing for timu solani that's when you know like that's the player i want to collect if i yes. and i do i do have a patrice bergeron pc because i respect the guy so much awesome i do it's not huge, but I I have a folder for him, especially in my in 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 my uh, organization system. LZ, do you? Uh, I know we've got Jeremy here for we've had him here for a while now. Do you have anything mm. else for him? No, no. I think I think this is good. It's good, Nick. All right. Yeah. Ask our. Uh, so, Jeremy, we have our our final question that um, we ask everybody who comes on the pod. Um, it's pretty straightforward, but if you could sit down. And have a uh, a coffee. I'm not sure if you would want Dunkin' Donuts or Tim Hortons, but if you could sit down and have a coffee uh, with any sports player, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Oh, and I know you guys actually prepped me for this one, and I and I forgot to to think a hard, hard about it. First of all, Dunkin' Donuts coffee is better than Tim Hortons. Now I yes. love Tim. Whoa, <laughs> it is, it is, it is. I had my first Dunkin' Donuts um, in the in an airport. 
I think I think it was at LAX like a few months ago. And I'm like, yeah, this is better than Tim Hortons. Tim Hortons changed their coffee. And now McDonald's uses the same bean that Tim Hortons used to here. So now McDonald's coffee is is, is better up here than Tim Hortons. With coffee, Nick, you're gonna get Nick, you're gonna get a text from Jeremy at like 4 a.m. tomorrow being like, I had nightmares. Can you please edit that comment out or out yeah, Tim yeah, Hortons? Yeah. People oh, are, take people that are blowing it up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tim Hortons I'm is coming a, after listen, me. <laughs> I still drink Tim Hortons quite a bit. I still yeah. enjoy it, but uh, but I tell you what, I I enjoy it with like cream and sugar. I like coffee black, but I'll put cream and sugar in my Tim Hortons. I do only drink it with cream and sugar to kind of mask the the bitterness of it, mm. you know. But um, hey, we should start a coffee podcast, right? Yes, we, I love it. I love it. <laughs> Episode one during this episode. But if I could have a coffee or a meal with any athlete dead or alive. I'm going to go, I'm going to go with someone I go to for a lot. When people ask me a lot of questions like this, I want to, I want to meet Jackie Robinson. I want to say, I want to hear from the Mm. horse's mouth, what it was like being Jackie Robinson. Um, I have so much respect for that guy. My favorite card of all time um, I, I often say like my favorite card from an aesthetic perspective is the 53 tops Willie Mays. That to me, if you guys don't can't picture it in your head, go look at it. You'll see what I mean. The most beautiful image on a card ever, I believe. But my favorite card of all time is the 48 leaf Jackie Robinson because more about the card too, but the player himself. And I own a copy. I've had it for about 10 years now. And I just love, I love the Jackie Robinson story. And when I watched the movie 42, I fell in love with a second player by the name of Pee Wee Reese. And the Mm. reason why I love Pee Wee Reese is there's a scene in that movie. I don't know if you guys saw it or remember where they're they're. I think they're, I don't remember if they were at home or away. I think they were at home and Jackie Robinson is, is, is being heckled by the fans because of the color of his skin. And Pee Wee Reese didn't like that. And he was, I think they were in the field together. Pee Wee Reese, walked over to Jackie Robinson and just stood beside him, put his arm around him and looked up at the crowd. They just stood there. And Jackie basically kind of goes like, what are you doing? He goes, no, just, just like letting them know that you're one of us now, you know? And so I, I talk, I love pairing cards together. I often will put my Jackie with my Pee Wee Reese rookie. And I just, I love that. And uh, I'm, I just, that story warms my heart every time I think about it. So if I could have, coffee or lunch with somebody i'd probably you know what i'm gonna cheat a bit and say i want both those guys there i want jackie and peewee because i i just that scene that might be my favorite scene in, in, of, of all time as far as cinema goes excellent choice excellent choice That's great um <laughs> jeremy just to just to wrap things up here uh th- first th- thank you for that that was a great great example of you know get grabbing a cup of coffee with um how can people follow you, get in touch with you? We just want to give you a minute to be able to kind of give a shout out to how people can do that. Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. Um, My YouTube channel is called Sports Cards Live. So that's where all my content is. It's also on podcast on Spotify and Apple and all the other uh, platforms, again, under the name Sports Cards Live. And then in, my Instagram is Lee underscore Sports Cards Live. So uh, any any of those ways you can you can see what I'm up to content wise and um, I do live interviews for the most part that's kind of my my hallmark and I then download the audio and upload it to the to the podcast platforms and 
Um, so yeah, that's how you can find me and welcome more uh, friends and and us and you know uh, people in the hobby. I, I love meeting people in the hobby and learning about what they're doing. So the more people, the better. Jeremy, Excellent. thank you for that. The listeners start following Jeremy if you're not already. He's a great follow. Excellent content, whether it's his YouTube channel, even just the quick reels that he puts out. Yeah. It's it's fantastic. Yeah, he's great. I appreciate. It. He knows yeah, I appreciate that, Larry. I appreciate it, guys. Uh I've been looking forward to this even though I know we've been communicating for a while to do this and uh but I I've been looking forward to it. So, um thank you both for having me and the conversation and uh keep doing what you guys are doing. It's it's great. So uh, congratulations and um, look forward to meeting you guys in person soon. Yes, let's definitely do that. Yeah, thanks definitely. for thanks for coming on. This was great. Yeah, yeah thank this you. This was great. Yeah. So everybody, you know that that's a wrap for today's episode. We want to thank Jeremy for, for coming on and talking all things hockey and even more than that, which is great. We covered a lot today. Um, like always, you can find us on all of your podcasts um, platforms, whether it's Spotify, Apple all of them uh make sure you subscribe and follow us there and then me and nick are on instagram you have nick at boston um card hunter and then me at autograph stalker on instagram so great great episode thanks again jeremy talk soon everyone <laughs>